Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Jimbo the Drag Clown from Canada's Drag Race, as well as RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world. She is a fascinating, lovely, hilarious performer, and we're going to talk all about turning trauma into drama. <laughs> um, we, we find the many ways in which our uh, very distinct stories overlap with each other, and she tells me a little bit about being a stepdaddy to teenagers. I can't even, uh, nothing, there's no, I want to skip, if I ever have kids, someone else can have them for the teenage years. <laughs> so hunker down, sink your teeth into your seatbelt, and buckle up, and get ready, and uh, put on some mascara for some brand new hijinks. M. Oh. Mom! everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by costume designer and drag clown who has a love of her own big breasts. It's Jimbo the Drag Clown. Hi, Jimbo. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> Will you tell our listeners where you are right now? Because you have a beautiful setting behind you. And I never would have guessed. <laughs> I am sitting in Soho in the UK in Bag of Chips' beautiful penthouse. And it's now, gorgeous here. The furniture is expensive. It has a coating on it, so I can't stain it. And it's beautiful here. Now... I have spent a lot of time in the UK, and I have heard that there are beautiful apartments, but I've never seen one myself. <laughs> well, you need to have your one-night stands with more expensive people. <laughs> Listen, um, they come to the hotel room because I can't be bothered to, <laughs> to, to travel. Um, I like that door open ass up. <laughs> I I I um I'm actually quite vanilla for someone who talks a lot about being a slut. Um I, I call myself French vanilla. Um like vanilla but with just a little a little something extra. <laughs> is a yeah. Is a vanilla slut a thing? Cuz it should um, be. I <laughs> yeah, I do. I do love a vanilla slut, you know. It's <laughs> Nice and tame, extra creamy, sometimes a little <laughs> bit frothy. <laughs> now, um, first and foremost, we know you from not one, but two seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag, well, 
Drag Race Canada, Canada's Drag Race. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. But then um, also RuPaul's uh, Drag Race UK versus the world. Just Most recently, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> 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 like the longest title ever. <laughs> How did the two seasons compare to one another? Well, I would say that, you know, being a Canadian and looking up to our sort of bigger sisters, the RuPaul's Drag Race franchise in the States, the iconic franchise, it was um, a longtime dream to somehow participate and compete. And so when Canada's Drag Race came along, it was our first opportunity as Canadians to be a part of the franchise and to really showcase our drag in Canada on the world stage. Um, and none of us really knew at the time of casting whether or not RuPaul would be there who's going to mm-hmm. judge and so as a you know a huge fan of Rue and um a huge fan of the show I obviously really wanted RuPaul to be there but it was Brooklyn Heights who is an icon and a beauty and an incredible drag performer as well so that was so cool and so the main difference for me personally was going to RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world I actually got to be critiqued and judged and in the presence of my icon RuPaul and so that was sort of the biggest um, difference in terms of the energy in the room and um, that was really incredible. Yeah RuPaul's presence does make a a big difference to the energy in the room. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, On uh, both seasons I've participated in, um, it's like uh, I don't know anything about the Canadian school system, but occasionally, you know, the teacher would leave the room and everyone would behave like how you Mm. behave when the teacher leaves the room. And then... (laughs) And then they come back in and everyone snaps back to how they're supposed to be behaving. Um, It was like that, but the ratio was backwards. You know, we spent most of the time alone. And every once in a while, the teacher came to check in on us and we all pretended we were good little girls. Um. Right. I have to comment on your Jedward hairstyle. Um, I only bring it up because my husband was making me watch Jedward videos last night for whatever reason. Um, do you? Are you familiar? Who the hell is Jedward? <laughs> it's, I have no idea who that is. They are a twin singing duo who have been on basically every reality TV singing competition imaginable. Um, they're twin... Uh, twin boys, uh, I don't know, they're probably my age, I don't know why I'm calling them boys, <laughs> but um, I think they're Irish, their names are John and Edward, but they go by Jedward together, and oh, they wow. have basically your exact hairstyle. Um, okay. They've competed on, um, you know, I don't know, X Factor, The Voice, and all those, and then eventually they were on Eurovision, and it's it's... It's quite captivating watching them on Eurovision. It's like a parody of Eurovision, but I am learning that that's what Eurovision is. It's like a parody say, of yeah, itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's such a wild show. I wish we had some sort of Eurovision in North America because it was just so wild what those acts come up with. But I'm going to check out this Jedward duo. They sound 
Very handsome. They, <laughs> they um, were on Graham Norton with Sarah Jessica Parker and Joan Rivers. And Whoa. they were they were doing that twin thing where they kind of like one starts a sentence and the other one finishes it. And they were talking back and forth. And they, mm. you know, they seemed like bunny rabbits on meth, um, just like bouncing off of each other. And... Um, Eventually, Graham Norton just said, what do you think, Joan Rivers? And she just went, <laughs> like she, <laughs> she basically didn't speak the whole time because she was just having a hard time um, taking it all in. Uh, <laughs> and for that, as a brilliant segue um, to Joan Rivers, you, of course, won Snatch Game as Joan Rivers. Um, oh, that's right. I love doing a little bit of Joan Goddamn Rivers. Can we talk, Jinx? <laughs> have you seen Joan perform live? I have not. Just on the internet. I I never was fortunate enough to um, be in her actual presence. Yeah. What about um, you? I have, but I'm wondering if you need to answer Baga's phone back there. <laughs> oh, can you hear that? <laughs> just a little bit. I'm just if, teasing. You should answer it as Baga. Amy did it. Amy's got it. <laughs> Let's um, take it from the top. Or are we going to put that in there? Oh, we we we'll oh. do warts and all. Um, <laughs> I did um, see Joan Rivers perform live just once. Um, there was a time when um, her and I were both performing at the Lori Beachman Theater in New York, and she had the okay. seven o'clock show, and we had the nine o'clock show. So, like two ships in the night, we would pass each other once a week. And she was very, very kind. She'd get on stage and just say the foulest, most filthy things. Um, just, you know, uh, Bianca Del Rio levels of hatred towards humanity. And then she would step off stage. And then she was just someone's grandma. You know, uh, <laughs> she would just talk about her grandkids and what she did. Give you a Werther's. Yeah. <laughs> And she would complain about sunburn on her hands because she had taken, uh, taken, taken. She took the grandkids out on a boat or something. And she's like, oh, look at my hands. Oh, I'm so sunburned. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, I got to meet her just shortly before her her passing, which, of course. Her murder. uh, Yeah. I mean, her, her negligent. Passing. It was. It was. It was really hard to take in that whole story. And um, oh my god, yeah, that story is devastating. And especially because they took selfies with her as she was passing. Uh, like I'm like oh, it's so twisted. Like I can't even believe that story. But I'm so grateful that you got to meet her and be in the same theater as her because that is so incredible. I'm like I'm amazing. Well. Um, uh, what started your love for Joan Rivers? I have to imagine you hold a place of reverence for her in your life. Um, where did it I begin? Do, I think it began, she has like this like air of glamour, but she's also like very like real and filthy and honest. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was something about um, the way it was put on 
at the same time as being true. And I love the way that she sort of made up all of these connections to celebrities. And she kind of had this, um, this running joke about celebrity and her own celebrity at the same time as being a huge celebrity. And so it was this, mm. just this really amazing way to laugh at herself and laugh at the world and present it in this really, um, sort of different way which could be sometimes off-putting and at the same time kind of shocking and at the same time somehow acceptable and so there was she played this like really amazing line between like glamour and kind of filthiness and being totally offside and somehow being totally lovable and I, I loved it yeah she she was you know one of those enigmatic one-of-a-kind people that only we don't have who, who, who we don't have another Joan Rivers now, you no, know. Maybe no. if Fran Drescher started playing a lot more blue, um, she could evolve <laughs> into a Joan she Rivers. Need <laughs> more plastic surgery, though. <laughs> um, I, I it's uh, you know you said you've never seen her perform live. I don't think that's crucial to doing a good snatch game, do you? Because uh, drag queens learn so much of what we know through media you know um i certainly never saw judy garland perform live but thanks to youtube and and dvds back in the day and (laughs) vhs the energy and the energy i feel of the universe i feel like once once you sort of feel a kinship to somebody there's this weird ability to um somehow channel them which is like part magic i feel like where it's inexplainable and so it's this collective unconscious and you are just this incredible example of how you're able to embody and then extend your understanding of a character in this unexplainable (laughs) way that i thought was just so incredible and so beautiful well thank you jimbo but we're not talking about me we're talking about you darling um (laughs) we'll talk about me in due time um (laughs) i i i totally agree with you you know i i feel like drag queens do more than just do an impression you know and it's because well uh, you've commented on it with joan rivers you know being able to laugh at herself that's what all drag queens do at all times you know even when we're presenting our most glamorous self there's still you know there's still the joke of like no matter how glamorous and gorgeous we are we are still subverting gender norms you know we're still doing something that's considered against the grain by still so many people and we're breaking down those barriers and we're breaking down that presumption that it's a wild and crazy thing for a person to, <laughs> uh, to present in drag the way that we do. But, you know, it's, it's still there. It's still, there's still a lot of the world that thinks we're, you know, demons sent from. <laughs> I know. The pits of I, hell. Think <laughs> I was doing this photo shoot where I was this like blow up doll latex suit um, sort of, and I was sort of dominating myself and mm-hmm. the, someone 
in the middle of the shoot was like, I was acting as like a human table and they were like, quick, fetch the dildo and the porn, put it on his, on her back. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, now we're making art, but at some time <laughs> this would have been, you know, really risque and really like bad. And we maybe would have been arrested for doing that sort of art. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's wild. And, and those things could still come back around again. You know, oh know. yeah. I mean, they're, they're fighting hoof and nail to bring, to bring those things back. And, um, that's what's, I think that's what's so, it, it's, it's just this, we're in a very, very interesting time because, um, I try my best not to pass judgment on the younger generation of queer people, but I sometimes see younger queer people in very progressive liberal areas kind of mouthing off about what the older generation should be doing because mm. they're coming from this place of privilege that the older generations never had. And I'm, right. I, I don't think that I'm part of the older generation. I'm somewhere in the middle between these two yeah. um, eras. But I see, I see young people trying to dictate how older queer people are supposed to be queer and I'm thinking but they built this for you <laughs> like, mm. um, you know but like but they had to live through the hardest moments so that you could have but then I also see the other side of it it's like if we don't call out what we see we don't make progress you know if we don't totally. carve out the path for where we want to go we can't make progress. So I'm simultaneously torn between like, yes, this is the way of the future, but let's not try to pave over the past. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Where? <laughs> how old are you? Where do you fall in, in this? <laughs> I am 39. And so I fall in the place where it was not acceptable as a child, yeah. like in school to be anything effeminate. And I really am an effeminate person mm -hmm. forever I've, I've been drawn to beauty and and makeup and sparkle and dresses and all those things that I was basically taught um, were wrong or bad and so for the first most of my youth and into my teen years the things I was taught the things that I like are not the things I should like and mm -hmm. I was always presented at birthdays and Christmas with all these things I should like and other things I wanted, the Mrs. Potato Head, the Barbies, the pink things, all of those things that I that I liked in my heart, I was taught were, were bad and not not for me. And so um, it took a long time to sort of undo and understand all of that conditioning and all those pressures that were put on me. And so I definitely feel like same as you, sort of in the middle there, where I, I definitely had that. I was on the tail end of you know it being totally wrong and bad and mm -hmm. and unheard of and then into this beautiful acceptance of gender and identity and expression and in all its many forms that we have today so um yeah I, I was out until I was 25 I was um my dad was very homophobic and abusive and uh it was not it wasn't safe for me to be gay and mm -hmm. um so or to be out as gay mm -hmm. and so I wasn't able to really come out until I moved across the country to a tiny island as far away from my dad as I could get and into a beautiful community of artists and friends where I was able to to come out 
What tiny island is that? It's called Vancouver Island, the west coast of Canada, <laughs> above Seattle. Your little neighbor. I didn't know Vancouver was an island. Oh, I know nothing about geography. What? I know nothing Jinx, about geography. I'm your fucking neighbor. I live in Portland now, but yeah, you're still pretty much my neighbor. Um, I have yeah, to say, very right away. <laughs> I did a tour um, in Canada recently. We only had four stops. It was a little. It was a little mini tour. But at one point we were on an island, and now I forget even what it was called. Oh my god, my memory's so bad. Um, it wasn't Toronto. It wasn't what is it? Newfoundland. <laughs> okay, you were on the east coast. You were all the way on the east coast, maybe like up. Yeah, from New York um, and like Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Newfoundland. Oh my gosh. I'd have to look up the tour to remember where I was, but suffice it to say, I was on a tiny little island at one point, and I started this joke on the tour from city to city. I would, um, uh, I would sum up the city in how many rows of grinder profiles you could see within, oh, yeah. like within the city limits before the next row was just a whole town over. Um, right. So there were some. Two row towns. <laughs> there was a four row town, and then you know, um, I think Toronto was like a a, a, a ten row there's town. A row. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of rows. There. Yeah, I'm not. I suck at doing grinder. I play it like a game where I make all like the squares gray. <laughs> I do it like make all the squares gray. So I either say hello or I block, and mm. I turned all starting at the one closest and then I just go along. I'm horrible at that. I'm just absolutely, I probably have never actually hooked up with anybody from Grindr. I just send 10,000 messages saying, hi. <laughs> it never works out. I don't know why. I don't know how to do it. How do you do Grindr? Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I always enjoy my time in Canada. I think probably my favorite is Montreal because I get to mm. order food in French, which is, um, you know, one of my few ways of showing off anything that's not related to performing. But I turn it into a performance, you know. Je voudrais un croissant, s'il te plaît. Un croissant. You talked about safety you know the um it wasn't safe for you to be queer um and that's something i i think a lot about um in you know when i have when i have statements to give about what advice i can give to young people because even though i went on my little rant about the the cross generational clashes right now within the queer community mm. i um you know, that's said with a grain of salt because 
uh, even young people who are growing up in safe environments, um, who are able to be queer at a young age, able to express their gender identity, um, you know, even with like this growing positivity and acceptance towards our community, you still turn on the TV and see constant you're inundated constantly with who you're supposed to be, um, uh, what what the world thinks you should have been. You know, um, mm. you don't see your stories or yourself represented on TV very often. So you start to feel like you're the only one. You know. <laughs> yeah. I I grew up. You know, I'm only five years younger than you. Um, so, but I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and had a family that was very um, accepting. So, I grew up with you know, like my peers being pretty awful to me at times for my queerness, but still feeling relatively safe and having places to express myself. Um, so, you know, it's still not easy when I when I think about like that. There's more privilege for for the queer community than there's ever been before it, that doesn't mean that it's not like still dangerous and scary and and as we mentioned you know um so many countries are are trying to take us back um america mm-hmm. currently you know debating on whether <sighs> Like, we're still having the same old goddamn debates that end, like, the end with, like, how about the fact that they're human beings and they deserve rights, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, we could go yeah. back and forth about what you think about lifestyles, but at the end of the day, isn't this a country where um, you pride yourself on all of our citizens get the same rights and freedoms as every other citizen, and yet we're still debating on whether or not these citizens actually get that, you know? And then, mm-hmm. and not just queer people, women. <laughs> yeah. Women, um, 51% of this country um, are being told they can't make decisions for their own bodies by the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. And so, um, anyway, that was yeah, a little bit great. of a rant. Um, but I want to know, like, when you felt safe to be queer, what was that journey like between getting yourself to a safe place away from abuse, away from fear, away from danger. How long after that before Jimbo was born? Was it immediate? Was it a progression? I know you went to clown school. (laughs) Yeah, it was a progression. So it was basically, um, I wanted to wait until I found love, gay Mm. love. And when... (laughs) I, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of gay role models. There wasn't really a lot of gay media. The first gay person I saw on TV was Ellen DeGeneres. And her show was canceled right after she came out. Yeah, <laughs> that, that she came back a later very on. very strong message. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, that was something that stuck out in my mind. And um, also, you know, my mom was very supportive of me all the way growing up. And she mm-hmm. she knew um, my brother and I were gay. and <gasps> But she didn't know for sure. But mm-hmm. she was, you know, she was always saying, you know, are you, you if you're gay, hon, it's okay. And, you know, you, it's this and that and the other thing. But I knew that it wasn't actually in terms of my relationship with my father and things. So it, it, I luckily I've always had the support of my mom. 
but at that time, um, the examples I had of gayness didn't align with who I was. And so it was kind of like, that was the only example I had where these sort of hyper effeminate, really um, sort of stereotypical. And so when I looked at those and thought, is that me? I thought, no. And um, it wasn't until I fell in love with a man for the first time that I understood, oh, okay, this is love. Mm-hmm. This is that feeling of I can't be without this other person. And when I understood that, that's what helped me um, be okay with my gayness is that I, I need this in terms of my happiness in this world. And I was fortunate enough to, um, once I made that decision that this is who I love and this is how I love, I didn't really leave any room for anyone to tell me otherwise when I came out. Mm-hmm. And my brother, my little brother ended up coming out before me and um, he was really put through it um, by my father telling him, oh, you know, you're gay because I hate women and, you know, it's my fault you're gay and you're not actually gay and what did I do wrong and really screwed with my brother's head around his sexuality. And um, so that really, I I saw that happen and I was like, I'm going to wait until I can get away from this person to come out. And um, so it wasn't until I moved out West and I fell in love with my partner at that time, Hank Pine, who was a musician and a performer. And he really introduced me to the theater community out there and the arts community. Mm-hmm. And my dad was really anti-arts and really anti um, anything that he could construe as being gay. And so he was very intent on me being a doctor and on me working in science. And so um, it wasn't until I moved out west, I really sort of got to explore my artistic side. I got to work in theater and um, it was through my friend Britt Small and Atomic Vaudeville, which is a vaudeville troupe in Victoria, that I was able to start performing. And that's when I was introduced to Clown. And Clown is all about truth and expression in the moment. And that's when I started to weave in the feminine side of myself. Mm -hmm. And I started with my very first clown was um, a grotesque, like Buffon clown of my evil ex-stepmother that had um, tortured me. And I allowed myself to be an ugly woman because that um, felt okay for me at that time. It felt very... Um, very comedic at that time I wasn't really able to accept the idea of being beautiful or actually investing into this idea of being totally feminine and it wasn't until I started to clown and perform as a clown in drag that I started to allow myself to be beautiful and allow myself to try and feel beautiful and And the more I did that, it was a feedback loop from my community and my audience and my family that saw how much joy and growth there was for me in the style of performance. And everyone rallied behind me and were like, this is amazing. And we love this. And so it was this beautiful turning point where my work as an artist combined with my community and my family and my friends and everyone really encouraged me to go deeper and um, then I went on Canada's Drag Race, and that's really um, sort of that turning point of I was really not concerned with beauty. If you look at my makeup journey <laughs> at that time, I was like more about vibe, style, character, and mm. then through my critiques, and then through just being a professional drag queen, I was able to improve my makeup looks, and now I'm I can say I'm I'm definitely much more beautiful than I was before. 
wow, that story sounds so familiar to someone else I know. <laughs> um, Jimbo, I just relate to so much of what you said. Um, and what, uh, like, I feel like, okay, so I went to acting school and one thing that they taught us was, um, and I think this was one of the more valuable lessons that I paid for, you know. Because um, <laughs> when you go to acting school and you're and you're paying university prices, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you're like, okay, well, uh, if I could have itemized this, maybe I would have taken this class. But no, um, I really enjoyed my my acting school experience, but. Um, one of the more valuable lessons I was taught was that there's uh, there's always multiple ways to get into a character. You can start with the form and let the external inform the internal, or you can start with the internal and let that inform the external. So, um, uh, you know, it's like... Um, but they have to inform each other, you know. Um, yeah. The in the inner mind of the character has to inform the physicality of the character and the aesthetic and the um, the external of the character, and vice versa. Mm. But you can start on either end and find your way to the other side. Um, and what I loved in my clown training, which I don't know if you knew that, but I, um, I, I didn't know that. I had Commedia dell'arte clown training in acting school, and it vastly um, informed and improved my drag because I had been doing drag probably about six or seven years by the time I was taking clown class, and. Wow. It changed everything for me because yeah. it was like what I was already doing, but it showed me how to do it like efficiently, quickly, and effectively. Um, mm. And um, my, uh, you know, Jinx had already existed, but Jinx has become much more informed by my clown training. But my first, um, well, I haven't created a clown persona since school, but my clown's name was Zetter Redged and Podoshki von Bissen. which just sounds so stupid to say out loud but um zetter was a very effeminate like um uh rich spoiled brat and was a high status clown who of course then has to be the butt of the joke at the end yeah um and um my clown partner arlotzi was uh my friend Jeremy in his form, uh, Miger, and <laughs> um, and he was a low-status clown who just wanted pie, and I was a high-status clown who thought he was a dog and was trying to train him like a dog and was using <laughs> pie as the reward, and then, of course, in the end, the pie is in my face. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think if I could... Okay, if I could start a scholarship program where drag queens go through Commedia dell'arte clown training. <laughs> yeah. Like an X-Men um, Professor Xavier drag queen clown school. <laughs> I'd have I you be one that. of the professors and yes. and we could improve the world of drag by teaching them clowning. Um. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Like people ask me all the time, what what is my advice for drag? 
drag queens, up and coming drag queens. And it's really about finding what brings you joy mm-hmm. and sharing that joy. And I find the clown is this perfect um, meeting place of getting yourself off and really listening to what your audience wants. Mm-hmm. And that as a drag performer, people are looking for ways to be individual and what are are ways that we are different from each other. And um, that can only come from within and from with d- discovering what it is about you and your self-expression that you want to share. And so I would love for more drag queens to, to even realize that they're clowns. I find a lot of drag queens don't even realize that they're clowning when they are. And I yeah. you know, I try to tell people as often as I can, when I meet another clown, I go, you are a clown. Yeah. And they're like, I really, I am? And you can tell that they're like, oh, how dare you? And I'm like, no, it's a compliment and lean into it and find it and share it because it's a way of dealing with everything in the world, which is so real. And that's what people gravitate towards is seeing someone's truth and, and being able to laugh at that with them. Yeah. And you mentioned another thing that um, I really relate to, and I think is uh, another beautiful thing of not only being a drag performer, but being someone who skews towards comedy, um, which I hope, I hope you don't take umbrage with that. Um, (laughs) Me assuming that you skew towards comedy. Um, Everything, everything to me. But um, you mentioned uh, creating a character out of your evil stepmother and, um, I, that really resonates with me because basically all of Jinx Monsoon is a place, she is this vessel where I put everything bad that's ever happened to me and turn it into something yeah. funny. Yeah. And there's actually been a lot of like, you know, um, I was open and honest on season five of Drag Race about uh, uh, tumultuous times between me and my mother. And I was very lucky because I was raised by my mom and my grandma and my aunt. I had a trio of women who raised me uh, like a little coven. And um, uh. they never would have called themselves witches, but my my moms were witches, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. My mom too. <laughs> they were too, you know, they were too conditioned by Catholicism to ever um, call themselves witches, but that's, that's what they were. And that's, uh, that's how I was raised. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a very tumultuous time with my mother um, f- from 10 to 20 Five, basically, it was a, a long gap of uh, of us having a really rough time in our relationship, um, and now I was so scared the first time my mom came to see one of my scripted shows because she had seen me do drag shows and she had seen me do my um, vaudeville show with my music partner, which is heavily scripted but it's all fictional. But the first time she saw me perform one of my scripted shows where it was written from real life experiences, I was terrified because she was going to see me telling stories about how she ruined Christmas and Ah, (laughs) the trauma that she put me through as a kid. And people are going to laugh at it because I've turned it into something funny. 
Um, and I remember one of the most, because um, I'm highly anxious, I'm highly uh, riddled with anxiety all the time. Mm-hmm. But one of the moments of relief that I got in my life was my mom just saying, well, I'm just so glad you can turn bad memories into something funny that might help other people in their own bad memories. And I was like, oh my God, she actually sees exactly what I'm doing and she gets it. And she essentially just gave her blessing. (laughs) Yeah. My mom too. Yeah. Yeah, What was your... similar. You said your mother was very supportive, and um, and you've also said she was a witch. Tell us a little bit about your mom. <laughs> well, my parents were basically alcoholics that mm-hmm. went through um, a period of being wealthy, and then we went from being rich to being very poor. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of my drag is is sort of based around my mom my mom like in the 80s she wore like big fur coats she wore these like Mm -hmm. big fancy dresses she always wore heels she always had long nails she had big breasts she had breast implants and she still has them and she was all about glamour and um and she has always just says like i'm really sorry hon for the 80s like she said the 80s were a hell of a time and um yeah, the 80s and 90s were really hard for my family. And my dad, my mom uh, is sober. Today is her 31st mm-hmm. anniversary of sobriety. Wow. Congrats, Mother Jimbo. Yes. <laughs> Mama Mare Bear. <laughs> and so today is her anniversary, 31 years sober. And that was the biggest gift she's ever given to me, ever. Yeah. And my dad died of alcoholism two years mm-hmm. ago. And so um, my mom has always been... Um, this beautiful, supportive angel who is all about um, setting up shrines. She's all about positive Mm -hmm. thinking. She's all about, she's really taught me about the universe. She's taught me about gratitude. She's taught me about intention. She's taught me about um, all of these things, which are so meaningful and important to me. Gratitude is such a huge part of being someone that is on the receiving end of so much love and so much joy and so much opportunity mm-hmm. my biggest thing I do is to be grateful for all of that and um she has a wonderful sense of humor and she can see how ridiculous damaging sad and crazy my childhood was and she, she can also see the humor in it which is so important for us to be able to laugh at our pain and she like you and your mom she's definitely kind of like oh wow so people are going to hear about these stories and people are <laughs> going to see these stories and people are going to you know see my expression of these personal past and but she has you know, along the same lines, it's just, thank God that you are okay. Thank God that you're able to laugh at these things and grateful that I'm able to share my experience so that I might help other people who have been through crazy childhoods and crazy family experiences. And so, yeah, a lot of my drag is, is kind of therapy. It's kind of like (laughs) exercising the things that happened to me and sharing those things through a sense of humor. So Yeah. yeah, my mom is amazing and I love her. That's wonderful. I'm I'm sorry to hear of your dad's passing, um, but it's oh god, you know. It's I'm going to tell that story one day. It's a wild, <laughs> wild story. What that man did. He was a complete psychopath, but um, it'll make a good book one day. And 
<laughs> and I survived. I like to say I was burnished in the flames of hell. And it's really um, helped me find joy and mm-hmm. seek joy. And that's what I, I do in most situations is find the joy. And joy is a choice. And I really saw that in my dad's life. Yeah. And so I, I really have chosen light. I've chosen joy. And I've chosen to um, really take all that darkness and sadness in my path and, and try to laugh at it and share it. Jimbo, Jimbo, Jimbo. Um, I also, you know, I have to say that I, I, I relate to your story of like, you know, um, you were a vibe queen through drag race, through your profession. You're, you're now comfortable embracing your glamour and your beauty. I think, um, I don't even remember if it aired, but I know that at some point RuPaul was like, you know, Jinx, we're consistently asking you to bring glamour to the runway, um, to adjust your makeup. I'm just wondering what's blocking you from it. And I was like, <laughs> well, I just, I think that I am, I guess. And also, you know, like, I've always liked being kind of tacky and being kind of <laughs> like disheveled looking. Like, that's like what I like my character to look like. And she was yeah. like... I think she was saying something like, yeah, well, do that, but do it glamorously. You know, <laughs> like, like if you're going to do tacky, do drag tacky, take it to the mm. drag level. And I think she even, like, referenced Adina Monsoon from Abfab as, like, you know, like, right. if you're going to do it, like, if you're going to do tacky, yeah. wear designer tacky, you know, mm. <laughs> like, or something, <laughs> something like that, and something unlocked in me, and... Um, you know, I really love the way that I look today and I still feel like I'm very true to my aesthetic, but I also don't scare people. Uh, <laughs> um, as much. As much. Um, I have to say, um, you know, I'm sure you're sick of talking about it, so we won't beat it to death, but the baloney monster... I mean, talk about bringing Clown to the RuPaul's Drag Race main stage. You know, I can't think of a better example of marrying what you do as a drag queen and what you do as a clown than that fucking baloney monster. I mean, (laughs) was was there one... Mom, are you hungry? (laughs) Was there one specific source of inspiration for that, or did it just come to you in a fever dream? So that comes from my vaudeville troupe back home, Atomic Mm -hmm. Vaudeville, and I, I would be brought in as the special character sometimes. I'm terrible at rehearsals. I'm terrible at... um sitting around in rehearsal processes and so I fortunately they would just sort of give me a character and then just say show up on the day and you can just do your special little character and so they asked me it was part of the Scooby-Doo number um where you know there were some sort of haunted foil or something and so they (laughs) said could you could you play a Casper in this bit and so then this was my interpretation of Casper was this was that sort of like crazy weird shape. And then I had that big belly. And 
for some reason, there's something about baloney, which is so comical to me. It was like mm. growing up, I had to, you know, my dad loved baloney. He was, <sighs> he did have some money, but he was really a poor little war child. And that was this vestige from his youth. He would buy this loaf that sat in the fridge. <sighs> it was the size of a loaf of bread. And it was baloney with macaroni mixed into it. <sighs> and, he would, and he would slice it in these thick slices. And it was so disgusting. And as we didn't have any choice over the groceries, so we had to make the best of it. And so my sister taught me to microwave the bologna and it would turn dark brown and it would sort of crisp up. And then you could sort of peel the outside and then keep microwaving it and turning it darker brown. And so there was just something around like playing with your food and the food being this sort of like processed weird frisbee thing I just never really moved past it and so bologna it became this thing to me that was kind of comical that was like a food item that was both a a food thing but also a prop because it's so kind of durable and you can really throw it around and somehow I'm not really sure why I became Casper the bologna ghost but (laughs) it just it just stuck and so I put bologna inside and I birthed my bologna and I and I would the trick was I juggle it and I throw it and it sticks to the costume mm-hmm. it sticks to my head it sticks on my body and then I just started to throw it into the audience and um Casper the bologna ghost was born and it was as soon as I started to do it I noticed that like families loved it like mothers loved it <laughs> children loved it it wasn't just my gay weirdo friends that loved it it was somehow loved by everybody it was a universal weird thing it was like this combination of some a bit nostalgia a bit of creepiness but when you meet the character you can tell you're not in danger it's like a fun Mm -hmm. fun loving Mm -hmm. sort of youthful kind of vibe to it so I think it just plays on all these different points that are attractive to people and some for some reason so when I knew I want I would have this opportunity to showcase something other than drag on RuPaul's Drag Race I really wanted to open up what we see on that show in terms of drag kings or in terms of drag clowns and in terms of things other than presenting um, as feminine. Yeah. And so I wanted to, to open that door. And also as a performer now touring Casper, the drag clown in drag um, shows, I'm starting to open up other weaving other forms of performance into drag presentations Mm -hmm. which I think is really important as we all sort of realize there's a lot more performance style out there beyond just drag um, or drag queens Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to really give space to all of the other types of performance that are out there and really find ways to involve them and showcase them and so I'm hoping that it's a weird little gateway for other um weirder forms of performance to enter into the drag world well kudos i think it's brilliant that you're doing that and um the more we the more we open it up you know i've i've said this many times but um i think what we need is just more of everything you know um Mm -hmm. you know of course I'd love to see drag kings on Drag Race. I'd love to see yeah. um, more variations on, uh, you know, differently gendered, differently um, presenting drag artists. You know, um, 
more, 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 more. But also, I more, say, more, more. <laughs> also, I say that we need more shows, you know, than just Drag Race because it can't all fall on the shoulders of one thing. And you know, we have Dragula, yes. and um, we're starting to see more and more drag stuff pop up. But I think um, it was. It's a quote from the the documentary Disclosure, which is all about trans representation in the media. Um, and someone says, what we need is just an abundance of this representation so that when someone makes a misstep or when someone, um, you know, w- when there's something not great, you know, it doesn't ruin everything. It doesn't bring the whole mm. system <laughs> crashing down because... Because then there's five other examples of the right thing, you know? Um, And it's, you know, it was that way for so long that, like, if trans people were represented in the media at all, they were either the butt of a joke or they were Mm. the villain or they were someone evil. Um, They were a trickster. Yeah. So an abundance of drag is how we keep taking drag further and how we keep um, keep uh, keep this art form alive so the bubble doesn't pop. Um, <laughs> and also, I, I think it's about showing other people that it's okay to be different and weird because it's such a risk to do drag personally for, mm-hmm. the, for the performer. I feel like sometimes people gravitate to what they've already seen because it feels mm-hmm. safe. They're like, okay, that's a, that person did it and it's acceptable for them to do it that way. So if I emulate that, what I'm doing is acceptable. And I think it will be great for for more people to realize that it's all acceptable and it's all good. As long as it's bringing you joy and you're sharing that joy, um, you know, let your freak flag fly, show us something we haven't seen before. And that, I think we need more of that. We need more people taking risks and showing us who they are individually. Yeah. (sighs) Not just drag queens in uh, everyday human beings. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and that's like the best added bonus of being a drag queen on television is, you know, we're doing it because this is what we love and this is how we, you know, put our art out into the world. And then we also have this added bonus of getting to help people incorporate drag into their own lives or incorporate the spirit of drag or or the mentality of drag into their own lives and um you know people always say not people always say why do i i shouldn't speak in absolutes but um oftentimes people tell me like you inspired me to do this and i like to remind Mm -hmm. them that like actually you know the power is inside you (laughs) like um drag might like kind of ignite the spark but he you know each human being has the capability of doing miraculous things um and Definitely. finding inspiration somewhere is wonderful but remember that you know it only happens because of the power you put into it so um Definitely. i don't want this conversation to end before we um talk about uh you are in a 12-year relationship, am I correct? And you raised kids? 
<laughs> no, it's, I think it's about eight or eight or nine years. Oh, so sorry. Eight or sorry nine. for um, and, aging you further. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. We've been together with Brady Taylor. We've been together for I think just just over eight years. Maybe it's going on nine years. Um, I guess that's the same thing. But anyways, we have um, Brady and his ex partner Doug, who's a big part of our lives. They adopted two beautiful children, Cassandra and Alex. And I was fortunate enough to come into their lives when they were quite small and young. And so I've had um, the. I also helped raise my niece, uh, my two nephews, mm-hmm. and also my niece as well through my my sisters. So I've had this fortune of of really helping raise a few people, and um, but most recently and actively as Cassandra and Alex, and mm-hmm. they're teenagers now, and they are just so. Um, lovely and beautiful and smart and intelligent and just cool people and it's really um a fun twist for me now to be an internationally known drag performer because I you know this is the age where all of a sudden everyone becomes kind of uncool and kind Mm -hmm. of um you know they want to roll their eyes at you and Mm -hmm. you're they're you know Basically, you're just not cool. But this being a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race has given me that little bit of an edge where their fan, their friends are fans of mine. And, you know, that kind of is a bit embarrassing for them. They don't like the attention and they don't really tell them until the friends are over. And they're like, what's all the Jimbo stuff around? <laughs> and, and then they'll be like, yeah. You know, Jimbo's my stepdad, and their friends are like, "What? <laughs> like, like, what the hell? Like, why didn't you tell me?" And they're, and they're pretty shy about it, but they are just so cool, and um, they've grown up around my me and my tits and my weirdness and my <laughs> expression and my fashion and and seeing my work ethic, and I think it's been really positive for them, and and they, yeah, they've seen me perform a bunch of times, and they think it's pretty funny. So that's wonderful. Um, I have a niece, um, who will be turning eight this summer and she's a big Jinx fan. Um, but she, she kind of doesn't give a shit about the fact that I'm on drag race. She cares Mm. that I'm on YouTube because she's at the age where they watch everything on YouTube and they're not watching like, they're not watching full episodes of things. They're watching clips of things. And um, right. she doesn't really get that uh, that anyone could be on YouTube. <laughs> she thinks it's a big deal that I'm on YouTube. And um, I, uh, she is also um, the last time I saw her because um, she lives elsewhere in the country and she comes for the summers. But the last time I saw her... Um, we were going out for our, um, she calls me Uncle Jinx. <laughs> so she calls me by my drag name, but calls me Uncle, which yeah. um, she's the only person in the world I would like call me Uncle. But um, <laughs> she she called me Auntie Jinx as a, as a kid, and she still calls me Auntie Jinx when I'm in drag. But um, I don't know when she made the switch to Uncle, but. It, it felt okay. Um, so I, I, I allowed it. Uh, <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll sometimes be out in public and we'll be ordering food at a restaurant and I'll be like talking to the cashier and then she'll like say, do you think, do you think he knows who you are? 
And I'm like, I don't know, Chloe. If if they didn't bring it up, we don't bring it up, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then one time we were in an Uber and I had taught her, like, if they don't bring it up, we don't bring it up. And then she goes, my uncle's very fate. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> and then the driver was like, um, uh, what were you saying? And Chloe says something like, well, my uncle's very well known on the internet, but we don't talk about it. And I was like, way to make me sound like a porn star, <laughs> yeah, Chloe. Yeah. Um, which... Uh, <laughs> Uh, just cracks me up to no end. Um, kids are amazing. And when I see my niece be so receptive to everything that, you know, like I taught her about they, them pronouns um, on one of her visits. And she seemed so bored with the topic and like she didn't give a shit um, because, you know, it was kind of like her uncle lecturing her on gender right. politics. <laughs> and then... Um, then I heard later that she went home and told my brother's girlfriend about they, them pronouns. Like she, oh, she then taught um, my brother's girlfriend about it. And I was like, oh, she retained the information and now she's teaching other people about it. Kids yes. are amazing. Bigotry yes. is taught. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, bigotry is Yo, not natural. It, it, it's taught to kids. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's amazing that because... Sandra and Alex, it's amazing hearing how they are just about teasing and about um, the way that they are at school, about bullying. It's so different when from when we were in, in school and when we were younger, there was just absolutely nothing to do with education around bullying or teasing. It was just rampant. And nowadays, it's just amazing to hear how the environments at school are just so much more open and safer for kids. It's just absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I had to deal with being called um, the F slur every day um, in high school, and I was told just to ignore it. And, um, you know, there was only... Yeah. And there was only so much we could do. Um, But now I hear from younger people who went to the same high school as me that there's a zero tolerance policy first time calling someone an f-slur you're you're out of there and i'm like wow like yeah. why was that so hard to do 10 years ago <laughs> i have compulsory questions that i ask every guest of mine, um, which does mean that we are coming to the end of our oh. conversation, but it's been so lovely. Do you have anything that you would like to plug? I, I know you have a music video called Free and Horny, um, a parody of all the famous celebrity sex tapes. <laughs> and you yes. also appeared in Joseph Shepard's um debut music video who is the producer of this very podcast <laughs> yes sexy joseph with the thunder thighs <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything else um, you'd like listeners to well, know about yeah like i have a new my ep is coming out later this summer it's four songs called life's work and which is kind of a you know tongue-in-cheek because how much um effort and time 
it's taken to just make four songs happen with my musical partner, Andrew Fields, Andrew Taylor. So um, yeah, I have one that's just come out called Angel. It's a love song about my partner, Brady. And then I have a song coming out in a few weeks about my cat that passed called Stitch. And it's like a beautiful song where I sing um, in sort of cat language to my dead cat. (laughs) And quite touching I cry almost every time I hear it and then the final song is is wink and it's another um love song kind of this parody and so yeah my new songs and then my website hellosajimbo.com it's I'm making merch and it's my dream to have a clothing label and so I've been dabbling um with having a, a factory in Pakistan that I'm working with creating designs and and having um clothing made that I'm able to sell so I'm really excited about that well congratulations Jimbo the drag clown uh, <laughs> um Jinxy. Uh, I have to say, you know, when I was when I was younger, um, death was so um, abundant with the pets in my family. Like we had a terrible track record with pets and I became very desensitized to pets dying. Um, Now, as an adult, I have two cats and um, my familiar Tildy, a black (laughs) moody cat. Um, she, you know, she's such a bitch and she walks around like she owns the place and I just love her so much. And she's only like four, but I, I'll pick her up sometimes and like dread the day that she's not in my life anymore. And it's like, that's a, that's a Mm. while away, but I'm like, yeah, it's a while away. I suddenly know what all those songs are about, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I know, to hear. Yeah, I had a, I'm sorry to hear of. Was the cat's name Stitch? Is that why Stitch. the song? Yeah, I'm sorry to hear. Yeah, she was murdered by a car. Ah, uh, are you gonna I find know. the car and avenge her death? Slash the tires. I wanted to. I really wanted to. <laughs> Instead, I just wrote a beautiful song to her. Hey, on the other side. Turning trauma into drama. Um, yeah. <laughs> these are your compulsory questions. Answer however you'd like. Who is your celebrity crush today? My celebrity crush today is going to be um, Elvira. Elvira. I I, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. She's also a drag clown (laughs) with huge tits. She is. She is. My celebrity crush today is Natasha Lyonne, who I just experienced a very big week. She was first on the Snatch Game, and then she was hosting SNL. (laughs) (laughs) And so are you guys friends? Yeah, you know, uh, 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 acquaintance friends. We've we've interacted a handful of times. She's always been wonderful. I I, I don't want to be too presumptuous and be like, oh, yeah, we go way back. But um, no, she uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and she's always incredibly kind to me. And I got to study her voice in person. So um, yeah. just yeah you absolutely nailed her and (laughs) so has she contacted you to tell you like she loves you and that was so funny or anything um i mean you know she tweeted about it and uh um um i uh 
I texted her about it, but she was just doing SNL, and that's like a full that's yeah. like a full twenty four seven schedule. So, um, you know, oh my god, and not everyone's great at texting. I'm a textaholic, but it's so funny. Is like I will text my heart out and then go completely like dark for days. Um, Me too. <laughs> I think I, it's, it's a celebrity thing. From, <laughs> it is, yeah. I answer texts sometimes like three years later, four years later. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, everyone hates it in my life. Um, yeah. Next question is, are you spiritual? I am spiritual in a sort of like witchy spelly kind of way. Whereas um, I believe in energy. I believe in the universe. I believe in um, a connectivity and a mm-hmm. certain sense of like, um, like some sort of oneness. I, I don't um, necessarily believe in um, any sort of religion. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't believe in any of the shame, darkness, punishment, uh, evilly kind of things that go along with that. I, I believe in magic. I believe in beauty. I believe in gratitude, good fortune, and joy. And so those all sort of weave together in my understanding of spirituality. Beautifully said, Jimbo. (laughs) You. (laughs) My final question for you is, um, what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, my go-to karaoke song. Lately, I have been singing... um, What the fuck is that one? Sometimes I sing Crete by Radiohead. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I like to sing that one as Casper, actually. Um, (laughs) And then sometimes I sing Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. Mm. Because I don't know, I love that like 90s, angsty, like screamy vibe of it. Sometimes I sing some Coldplay because I love a good sort of ballad. Come up to meet you, tell you I'm sorry. sorry. Don't know how lovely you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, the way that song used to make me cry. (laughs) God, no kidding, right? And so what about you? What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, Stray Cat Strut, also Creep. Um, crazy by Patsy Cline, and then um, when I'm really feeling myself, um, I'll do me and Bobby McGee, um, Janis Joplin, and I'll do the full voice and everything. And um, oh. but that has to be on a night I'm like not working later, or not working the next day, because doing Janis really shreds the vocal cords, you know. <laughs> oh my god, I bet. <laughs> not like doing Natasha. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being my guest today from um, an unseasonably sunny UK. (laughs) It's gorgeous out. The sun is setting. There's ominous clouds, but there's more blue sky than I think I've ever seen. Maybe it's because you're up so high. (laughs) You're up above the the clouds. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it is beautiful here right now. I'm so, I just love it. I'm so grateful. Thanks, Baga, for letting me stay here. 
Thanks, babes. Well, thank you and so much. Thank you. Uh, thank oh, you thank you. Thank I'm, you. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, I'm such a huge fan of yours. And I must say that it, it was watching you in season five that really did um, resonate so much with me and my understanding of drag and, and understanding of performance. And you're just such a huge inspiration to me. And oh, all of so that much. feeling came right back again watching your season airing right now um <laughs> it's just it's so wonderful just to see your growth and inspiring to just see you kill it and look so fucking beautiful at the oh, same time. thank you i'm terrible at accepting compliments so i'm just gonna say thank you and close out this episode but <laughs> <laughs> But I, truly, I used to make a horrible face when I would ever get a compliment. I would make this horrible face. I go because I was so not good at taking it. My mom was like, "Can you please stop making that horrible face when someone compliments you? Just say thank you." I was like, okay, "Yeah, I've trained myself to stop doing um, what I used to do, which was." someone would give me a compliment and I'd go, yeah, but you know, actually that day I kind of messed up <laughs> or, and then it just sounded like I was like fishing for even more compliments. Right. Um, so now my MO is to just say thank you and move on yeah, or, yeah. Um, or then compliment the other person. And so let me just say, copy and paste all the sweet things you said about me back onto oh. you because this conversation oh, really? has been delightful. Watching oh. you on television has been a joy and, um, uh. and, and um, feeling like you and I uh, uh, overlap in certain ways in the, in the drag yeah. multiverse. Um, I yeah. can't, I can't think of a lovelier person to overlap with in many ways. So me too, my witchy sissy. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. Hi, 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 Jinx. Hi, Jinx. Bye, Jinx. Bye, Jimbo. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.